Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the Sassfield Podcast, where the background image on your screen is my actual office. Well, sometimes. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale from seven to eight figures, creating premium valuation, impacting the community, and transforming from engaged business operator to empowered strategic owner. I actually do work remote most of the time and travel quite a bit. You know, I love being on meetings when somebody says, hey, I love your background image. And then something in it moves or birds fly by. Uh, Once I had dolphins jumping in the background, you know, I wish it was like that every single day. But a couple of weekends ago, I was at a live event with a few hundred founders and business leaders. We were spending some focused time in smaller groups, brainstorming ways we could use our businesses for good. I mean, both Champion Leadership Group and my SaaS Intelligent Contacts exist for more than just revenue and profit. Some of the founders there were already doing that and thinking of ways to give back. And for others, it was like a really novel concept. I was a little surprised at that. And we've done it for a long time. And most of the people in my circle do. And I just assumed that everybody did. But if you don't, you should. And I know a lot of you know that my, you know, all my book profits go to charity. We're pretty involved in a number of different causes and really passionate about that. So I talk about that quite a bit. But the most interesting thing was that one of the people in my breakout group had experienced this full circle. Her story was growing up poor, no running water, limited electricity. And it started with a well to provide clean water for the village. Then a school and books, basic entrepreneurship training and microloan funding for them to start businesses. You know, simple things. That led to university and a love for tech and business. So fast forward 10 years, and she's running a business now with 50 employees. You know, it really struck me because we've been a part of wells and clean water projects for years. It's something that uh, that I just love. Uh, We help fund an orphanage, a school. Uh, I spend some time teaching high school students about business, especially in underprivileged schools. We support a number of charities that are involved in that and mentoring. And often we do things, and maybe for years, and don't always see the individual impact. Sometimes we hear feedback, receive donor reports or stories of big numbers, you know, providing water to 10,000 people. That, that's pretty cool. But sitting face to face with one person who has experienced that and the impact and just kind of how that changed the trajectory of her life. It's absolutely incredible. That conversation was the highlight of my year so far. And full circle, she's using her company now to give back and keep that cycle going was a a, huge encouragement to me about the power of entrepreneurship and the opportunity that we have for impact. And so, you know, just really strengthened my resolve and, you know, talk to the team. We've doubled down on our commitment. And I'm excited to say that our guest today has that same mindset of doing great things with her company as well. Well, today's episode is sponsored by the book, Small Fish, Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business that Swims Circles Around Competitors. So why do some SaaS companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? Why do some solutions inspire fierce brand loyalty while others are kind of interchangeable? And what can we SaaS leaders learn from fish? 
Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful marketing leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to a position your company as the right solution. It includes step-by-step frameworks and time-tested growth tools to attract ideal clients, convert them, and make them fall in love with your brand. Get print, ebook, or audio today, smallfishbigpond.com or your favorite book source. And as I said earlier, all profits go to charity. Earlier this week, our SaaS founder conversation was with Nathan Miller, founder and CEO of Rent Tech Direct. Nathan SaaS started as a passion project to solve his own real estate needs and grew to be a giant in the space, serving more than 25,000 landlords. Outstanding insights with Nathan. And our expert last week was Becca Kay, co-founder and COO of Dingus and Zazzy, an unlimited marketing subscription that companies can hire for less than the cost of a full-time employee. Now, Becca knows how to stand out and be unforgettable. It's a great episode. If your company needs more exposure, then this is the ticket. If you missed either one of those episodes, definitely be sure to go back and check them out. My guest this week is an expert and founder, Sarah Holly. She is the founder and CEO of Grow Motley, a company that is redefining how we experience work. In her pursuit of freedom, which is Sarah's highest value, she turned all her companies remote in 2014. That's a bold move. The result? Happiness and engagement and high performance resulting in three multi-million dollar exits. Boom. You know, we could stop there because that's just awesome. But Sarah didn't. The decision to go remote drastically impacted her life and those that were working for. And that was a move that would set her on a trajectory that finds her now at the forefront of remote work and where remote work meets conscious culture and conscious leadership. Out of that came Grow Motley. Welcome someone who is unstoppable and changing the world for good, Sarah Holly. Well, hey, Sarah, welcome to SAS Fuel. Uh, thank you for having me, Jeff. Good to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about Grow Motley and how you came up with the idea. Mm-hmm. Yes, Gromotely is a tech platform that is focused on remote work, so helping companies anywhere in the world find and hire talent anywhere in the world with a real focus on culture matching and kind of creating the future of work. I think we're really in a pivotal time for humanity where we're redefining the way that we work together. And, and as a brand, we're very focused on pushing forward these new ways of working together and new ways of doing things. I came up with the idea after turning my own company's remote back in 2014. So I always wanted to travel and live in other parts of the world. And when I became an entrepreneur I in 2009, I, I kind of found myself a few years later just working really hard and really long hours and not traveling as much as I would have liked and spending a lot of time in my office. And even though I loved my work and my company and my team and all that. I just wasn't thriving in that environment. And so, yeah, I took a giant leap back in 2014 and turned my financial planning companies remote. So very like not the normal business that can be considered remote back then, especially. And everybody told me, what are you doing? That's crazy. It's not going to work. But um, I really felt in my heart that it would work and that it would be a better life for me and a better life for my team. And I quickly discovered it was amazing. And because of my love for travel and adventure and, you know, probably identifying a little bit more as like a global citizen or just a human on earth, I quickly started realizing, well, if my company's remote, I can hire anyone from anywhere. I don't have to only hire Australians. 
And so the first hire I made was a girl called Michelle, who's still a dear, dear friend of mine uh, from the Philippines to be our financial controller. And she was amazing. And it opened up a whole new world. And then I kind of started hiring people from everywhere. But I, along the way, realized like it wasn't easy. There was nowhere where you could post a job and truly access, you know, a pool of talent from all over the world who wanted to work remotely. And so um, I've, I had three exits along the way, all remote. And on my, when I sold my last company in 2018, I was soul searching and thinking, what do I want to do next? And what am I most passionate about? And it was remote work. And I, I could see a technology play. I could see um, a really beautiful, scalable model that would help people, help companies or help leaders of companies transform their organizations into um, really thriving remote teams the way that I had, but we need a platform to be able to do it. We need to be able to put jobs out and find people um, everywhere in the world. So yeah, that's the quick the quick story of, I don't know, 10 years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's really interesting just that you did it so early. Is especially being in mm-hmm. financial services, they're traditionally anyway, very slow to change, very slow to adopt. And especially a remote model yeah. like that, I can see why people would say that would never work. And and I just love yeah. that you, you did it anyway and proved them wrong. So I think that's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's kind of the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm always out there doing things that people are like, what are you doing? And then a few years later, they're like, oh, now I get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that was a really good idea, right? Yeah, that's kind of the, the entrepreneur mm-hmm. life. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Do sure. crazy things and be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there definitely has been a, a transformation you know, over the, the last few years. And, uh, and you, you, you couldn't have started at a better time in 2018, kind of the building phase mm-hmm. and then, you know, right up and everybody was kind of forced into remote work. How have most companies handled that transition? Have they done it well? Are they still kind of struggling with it? Or what are the challenges of going remote? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a mixed bag, you know, like given the fact that it was such a crazy experience that happened that we all got plunged into it right. overnight, essentially. You know, that is not in, in 2019 when I was really starting to get working on this idea and bring it together. I just thought to myself, I can't see a world in which we're not ultimately working remotely. Like I can't see how it won't get to that at some point. But I was thinking 10-ish years down the track, maybe even longer. I had no idea that we would experience this pandemic. Um, So it was definitely a very interesting time because everybody had to go remote, at least for a period, or most people did. Um, And then now we're in that decision phase of whether we want to stay that way or what are these different models that people are trying out and companies are trying out. And so I think there's been a really mixed bag of how people and companies have responded to it. Um, I think that there were some really early movers that just went, this actually makes sense. Let's just do it. And they made big announcements. I think Spotify, Pinterest, I'm sort of just mem- from memory, but I think some of they were some of the big companies that just kind of went remote early on um, and just said, we're going to just stay this way. And then there's been a lot of companies doing more of a hybrid model. And I think a lot of companies are now being forced into a hybrid model because their teams just don't want to go back to the office. I'm looking, I live in my bubble and I look through my lens. So I'm aware of like my own definite preference for remote work and bias toward it. I'm not necessarily saying it is for everyone, but you know, ultimately it does open up a world of possibilities. So yeah, we've we've seen a lot of struggle. I think it 
even in that situation where so many companies were just thrust into it, one of the big things that we heard was like, it's impacting our culture. But I think in reality, what remote, what working remotely does is highlight the potential challenges that you're already having in your culture. Um, and I think that's a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> of course um, it is. Yeah, we're all proud <laughs> of, I have of a the lot culture of, we think we have. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I have a lot of compassion, you know, for that. And I went through my own journey when I turned my company remote. Like it didn't work for everyone in my team. And we had about, we had a year where we tried to do the hybrid thing. And that was, you know, quite frankly, the worst year of our culture ever. I think we were better when we were all office and then we were ultimately the best when we were fully remote. But the hybrid, it creates a lot of challenges um, in terms of just like fractures of how people are working together and some people are in the office and some people aren't and these it just can can very easily create challenge. Um, but every com- company is different and every company is handling it differently. So yeah, I think that was the big thing was seeing the flaws in culture and realizing that, oh, we actually have to focus on this. And our culture is more than this pretty office and giving free food and ping pong tables or something. Our culture is actually how we treat each other, what we stand for, how we show up in the world, what we're actually working on and do we care about it. Those are the things that really form the basis of a business culture that transcend physical spaces. That makes a lot of sense. So how do you build a culture remotely? I mean, how do you hire into that? You know, it seems maybe a little bit more difficult to qualify people, but uh, you know, what have you found that has worked well for you? Yeah, and we, I mean, that's very much what our tech aims to help companies do. So we've kind of built a really a best practice hiring process for specifically for remote hiring because it is a little bit different. You know, people aren't you're not putting a job out there and then filtering through and then having people come in and sit down for a coffee with you and meet them face to face. So, you know, I think it's important to use different methods to get to know each other. So we have like written Q and A and video Q and A and we have instant messaging and we have online interviews and all of that forms part of the process. Cause what we found was having these different modalities of communication actually adds a lot of value to that getting to know each other process. Um, But specific to kind of hiring for culture I think is what's really important is that companies know who they are as an organization for real, not who they're aspiring to be, like who they really, really are. Obviously, there's some aspiration in all of our organizations, and I don't mean to discredit that, but I mean, it's important to own your culture as it is, own who you are in the world and communicate that clearly because that will attract the right people to you. You know, a very simple example I always give is if flexible is like the latest thing, but you're actually a pretty structured, rigid organization, don't say you're flexible because it's just going to be chaos. You're going to attract people in who are looking for this fluid, flexible working environment, but actually you have a more structured hierarchical system or whatever. Like, there are trends and there are things that we should be considering evolving ourselves into, but it's also okay to be who you are. And there are people out there who want to work in a structured way. And we want them, if that's our organization, we want them coming to us. We want them applying for jobs with us. So having on your website, when you're advertising jobs, if if you're using Gromotely, we kind of have it all built in, but having your vision, your mission and your values as a part of that process of people to getting to know you is I think critical because that's what the professionals in the world are looking for now is I, th- I think another as a result of the pandemic is we all did a lot of soul searching and we all said to ourselves like, wow, am I really living the life I want to be living? Am I spending my time on the things I want to be spending my time on? Is my life 
making a difference? Does it matter in some small way? And so we were seeing that trend already. The pandemic just did a giant leap forward where people are saying, no, I don't want to work on something that I don't care about. I really do want to work on something that is meaningful and is doing good in the world in some way. And and that's the kind of job I want. So communicating out, I think it's very important for company leaders to remember for themselves and their teams, like, why are we doing this? Like, why, you know, there's a reason why this company was founded in the first place. There was a passion and a fire and a fuel for doing something. And like, let's keep that alive. Right, right. So how how do you judge talent um, remotely? Is it, uh, do you rely, is it like personality test? Is it like technical tests, things like that? Or how do you know, you know, if somebody is going to be the, the right fit for the, the role itself? I mean, I don't really think that aspect is any different from what you would do in a, in a face-to-face interview. I mean, you can't really judge somebody's technical ability just because they came into your office. Like you still may want them to do a test, right? right. So I think a lot of that is, is pretty similar. You're looking at their resume, their LinkedIn, their online profile, their remotely profile, whatever it might be, to see their skills, their experience, and see if there's a fit there and understand that. And then some roles, yeah, it's appropriate to do testing, personality testing. I think that's very, you know, a journey that companies go on to learn what works for them. There's lots of tools out there. And I think if you're if you were doing that pre you know, pandemic, pre-remote, keep doing it remote. I don't know that that really changes because it's remote. I think you still need to appropriately assess that somebody has the right skills and experience. But I think what's more important, skills and experience is kind of like a checking the box. Uh, What's more important is that cultural alignment and are we going to work well together and is this person going to fit into the organization? So yeah, if there's testing, I mean, for us, for example, with our engineering team, my CTO has some specific tests that he uses because it just helps him to understand where they're at from their knowledge of the programming languages we use and things like that. So that makes sense. And if we're hiring someone in our marketing team, we might take a look at their portfolio and things that they've worked on before. But I don't think it's not that we wouldn't be doing that if we were in an office. Right, right. Yeah, I think it makes a lot yeah. of sense. You know, you're, you're doing a lot of the same things that you would be doing if you were face to face, except that, uh, that you are remote. So the process is similar yeah. in that way. The communication, mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. Tell me about the, yeah. how you keep that communication channel open and, and keep that, that flow happening with remote workers. So not not during hiring specifically, but like as a team yes, when you're working correct. together, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think having really good tools and technology is the most important thing. So um, just some central hub where you're communicating. A lot of companies use Slack. We use Basecamp. There's other things like Asana, sure. um, Monday, I don't know. I'm not, I don't think it really matters. It's like, there's a lot of great technology out there. Pick the one that you like the most. But what is important is that you do have some kind of piece of technology that manages your communication workflow, task list, projects, whatever it is um, in your organization, how you work. So, and then obviously, you know, you could use a messaging tool outside of that, like just iMessage or WhatsApp or Telegram or something for like getting a hold of people quickly if you need to. We also use a lot of voice notes in our organization. I love voice noting when you're working async. Um, Voice notes can be great because, you know, I can be brainstorming and really have a good explanation around something, send that through to one of my co-founders and then she can wake up because she's in Romania, for example, <laughs> you know, she can wake up when she wakes up, she can listen and digest and then send me a voice note back. And, you know, there's a lot more like context that you can get in there than what you can in a, in a written form. Yes. Um, so because 
yeah, we, we use, we end up using WhatsApp and Telegram for voice notes, but the most of our communication flow goes through Basecamp. And I think that's just really important. It's having a tool, everybody being on that same tool. And it is a little bit of a habit forming of like, communicating what you're doing so I always say it's not like reporting in like these are the exact 75 things that I did today but it's like giving people a bit of a sense of what you worked on and and where you're at and some days it might not matter but some days it will and if you had a conversation with someone that changed the direction of a project you're working on like just drop a note to everyone so that they it can be a paragraph you know but at least people are just staying abreast of how things are moving and and that I think that's a bit of a change because in an office a lot of that just happens um, and people overhear other people and you have conversations around the water cooler as they say um, but yeah so just developing a bit of a habit of actually writing about what you're doing um, so that everyone in the organization can stay across it and obviously it depends on the size of the team and how how that works but I think you get the idea yes there's been a number of stories recently about productivity and productivity monitoring and things like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. people writing applications to keep a mouse moving on the screen so that, uh, you know, they stay active in, in some things. What do you think about remote productivity versus in-office productivity? I think that there's some really significant studies that show that remote work does enable people to be more productive, but you still need to have the right people. And I think it really comes down to engagement. Like, do you have someone who has the right skills and experience, but also wants to be there, enjoys their job and understands what's expected of them? You know, having clarity around one's role is really important. If your team are engaged and excited and they've got work to do, (laughs) they've got outcomes to produce, (laughs) then having a mouse sitting there clicking things isn't really going to help anyone. So, I think where we see that is with companies that are still focused on hours and like, okay, you have to sign in at nine and you have to work all the way through till five and you can take 15 minutes break at this time and an hour break at that time. And, you know, are really more focused on having that bum on seat, as they say, versus like, this is what we want you to do. You know, we want you to write three beautiful marketing emails every week for our for our company and we want you to research them and we want to have an open rate of x percent and we want you to try to improve that like when that's somebody's job it doesn't really matter what hours they are and if they have a mouse jiggling around like (laughs) that's not going to help them they've still got to they got to write the article and if they don't write them then it's like a conversation of what's going on and okay well it doesn't seem like the right fit so maybe we'll find somebody else um but yes i think it's really important not to be kind of focusing on the hours and moving. This is part of the transcendence where we're going through in humanity is really getting away from that hours-based working and getting into outcome-based work. But it's, yeah, it's horrible, some of those <laughs> things that exist. And I think about like who started that company. Right, Like right. what is going on with you? Like I'm very passionate about us entrepreneurs doing business that's good for people and good for the planet. And when I hear of things like that, I'm like, wow, you started a company <laughs> to try to scam people. Like, it's terrible. It's <laughs> crazy. I've yeah. read an article this last week that uh, companies trying to bring people back into the office have some pretty significant productivity challenges. So I thought that was really yeah. interesting. Just all the concern about, well, if we let them go remote, they're not going to do nothing. But then you bring them back and productivity goes down. Yeah, so I want to explain that for people because I think it's really important to understand. And the the paradigm that we're operating in when we think productivity is going to go down if people are at home is like, oh, they're going to be really distracted and they can I can't see them and they can jiggle their mouse <laughs> and they can do whatever they want. 
and they're not working. But like if we shift our thinking and say what's really happening, we're giving people the choice and the freedom and the flexibility to find what works best for them. And if we know, which we do, that we have all different types of people in the world, we have people who are introverted, people who are extroverted, we have ambiverts, I think they're called, you know, we have people who work really well, like a morning person, that's me, I like to wake up really early and my brain functions quite highly in the morning as I go through the day, I start to, you know, not function as well, whereas other people, 11pm at night, they're just like at their computer firing off the most creative genius. So if we think about that, The nine to five model in an office environment really doesn't support that. So you've missed probably 60, 70% of your workforce are not productive between nine and five. Their most potent brain power is before 9am or after, you know, well after 5pm. So you've maybe got 30% of your workforce who actually function really well between nine to five. So you're already just disadvantaging yourself as an organization by forcing that. We then look at introversion. So you've got people who are introverted and you're forcing them to come into an environment every day where they have to interact with people all day long and manage all of this energy. They've got probably bright lights and maybe commotion and all sorts of things that their energetic body is kind of like metabolizing, so to speak, for them to stay okay in their system. Um, This was the world before. I don't think we really knew that this is what we were doing. But it it is the truth. And now when people have had that ability to go, yeah, I'm more introverted and or even maybe today I'm working on a spreadsheet. I just need peace and quiet. I need to just dive into this thing without distraction. And maybe tomorrow I'm going to be doing sales calls, but I really need to do this analysis today. Um, Having that freedom to choose like what's the environment for me today um, for for the work that I'm doing today that works best for me. Um, And So when people have had two years of kind of learning themselves more and understanding more what works for them and what doesn't, now going, okay, everybody back into this conformed environment where we're all doing the same thing at the same time, it's just people have evolved and they don't want to go back into that box that, you know, really wasn't working for them. And obviously there's the argument, well, if you're extroverted, like you don't want to work from home, but there's other options, there's co-working spaces, there's going and working in cafes. So it's really about giving people that space to learn who they are and then choose the environments and find them that are going to work best for them. It's very powerful. And when we do, when we are able to unpack all of that past conditioning and and empower and trust people and encourage them and give them resources to learn more about who they are and empower them to make those decisions, that's where we see productivity skyrocket. And that makes a lot of sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we actually made the decision to go completely remote uh, earlier this year. So it was kind of one of those things coming back. You know, should we do hybrid? And so we kind of started that way, and it just it made no sense. And uh, and yeah. I love that it was actually after one of our first conversations of of thinking about that, and and just that light bulb moment for me of letting people work in the way that works best for them. It gives them the option, and so we did. And, yeah. and there were a few people that that really liked the idea of going into an office. And so, you know, co-working space made a lot of sense for them. And, and but the great yep. thing is you can do that anywhere. And so it's really opened exactly. up the entire world uh, where instead of having a handful of offices now, you know, the talent pool is much larger and you've got a workforce that's engaged and much happier in the process. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I say. I mean, how exciting is this time we live in where every organization can tap the entire world's talent and find the people out there that are most passionate about what they do 
and every individual can search the globe for the company that's doing the thing that they really care about the most. Like that is amazing. You know, prior to now, it's like, what job can I get in this location? Like what, what talent can I find in this location now? like we can really make those matches and and have an incredible work life that's truly integrated because i think what we all want is to bring our genius every day right and know that like that that actually fills us up and then it, it stops being work it's just part of our life like this is where i like express this aspect of myself and then i have my friends and i have my you know hobbies and other things but like I love what I do over here because I'm actually bringing my genius and I'm trusted and empowered to do it. Like that is the world that I want to see. And, and that's fantastic. I think that's something that's missing for a lot of people. They're, you know, traditionally have been just, you know, in a job and it's what they do. And and then they mm-hmm. go do other things for fun. They don't really love what they do. Yeah. And I think that this is an opportunity to really re-examine that. And and there are companies that are are certainly beneficiaries of that. And there are some companies that that are losing good people because they haven't provided that environment where people can really mm-hmm. thrive and love what they do. Yeah, exactly. So when you talk yeah, about... I mean, I just... I, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I said, when you talk about redefining how we how uh, we experience work, is that what you're talking about? It's kind of the environment and, and really be able to, to love what you do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really just want to encourage anyone listening that like you can be paid for the thing that you absolutely love. And I want a world where we, we do that. You know, we move away from the conditioning of, okay, you have to get good marks at school to get into university, to do the right degree, to get a good job that will pay well, which basically produced a lot of people doing things that they don't necessarily love and, or a lot of people that study degrees that you know, they don't really care for anymore, but it's just a beautiful, powerful time to say like, what is the thing that I love the most? What is the thing that I'm really, really good at? And just know that it's out there for you. Like you can do that for the rest of your life and be paid for it. So what can we as leaders do to help, you know, instill that, that trust or, you know, place that trust in our people and empower them to do their best work? It is a lot of looking inward at yourself. So looking inward at ourselves That's and saying, why? It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is really like the inner work more than anything um, because it's looking at the things that we, the fixed beliefs that, ha- that we have, the things that we're uncomfortable with and saying, okay, let's just stop for a second and, and think, why do I think that? Like, why am I holding on to this idea that if everyone works from home, they're not going to be productive? Or why am I holding on to the idea that people are just trying to take advantage of me and get paid. Um, they don't really care or whatever it might be, whatever those stories and contracts you are that you, that you have, that you think, you know, that you think are real. And you're starting to hear from the world that there's all these different ways. And it feels like, you know, it's grading against you because you're like, I don't, I want just my team to go back to the office. I just want to do this thing. Why are people being so ungrateful? Like if you're finding yourself in that situation, just stop and take a breath and look inward and say, why are these things bothering me so much? Like, what is it? that it gives me that I might need to let go of. And I think that it's it's okay. It's a painful journey in some ways. Like as a leader, having a fancy office and going in and seeing all your people every day, sitting at their desk doing work, it's a very vi- visual, uh, visual representation of the thing that we've created in the world. And it can mm. feel good. Yes. You know, our ego can feel good about all of this stuff that we can see that we've created and, 
you know, we might have aspects and tendencies to want to control and micromanage people and it's okay. Like, I don't want to shame anyone for that. I want to open up the space for people to think about, like, what if there could be another way? Because I know when I operated like that, I was quite stressed out a lot of the time. And I thought most people were incompetent and I was frustrated always. Um, So I was going into my fancy office and spending the day frustrated with people and fighting fires and thinking that people just were not good. And, you know, some, I wasn't, I wasn't terrible, but, you know, I had a lot of that going on. And it wasn't until I changed my own thinking and started seeing like everyone is just as amazing as I am. I just need to get the right people in here. And I, I think that's another thing to open up is like not being afraid to let people go when it's not the right fit. Like they, we are going through a big shift at, at every company's own level and also just as a society. It's a big shift. And when we have change, it disrupts things and sure. it gets uncomfortable and it gets a little messy for a while. And I think the most important thing is to get your North Star and say, what kind of company do I want to create? What kind of company do I want to be the leader of? You know, I want to love my people. I want my people to really love being here. I want everyone to be in their genius and thriving. I don't want us to be stressed out. I want everybody to be in the right seat with the right skills and the right enthusiasm and passion so that work is just flowing out of us really nicely. I don't want to have to manage people. I want people who kind of know what's expected of them and and just do it. Create that in your mind and say yes to it because it's possible and then be brave enough to say no to the people that maybe are not right and, and invite them. Say, it's okay if this is where we're going, this is who we are and it's okay if this doesn't feel good for you because I'd rather support you to find the other organization where it feels like a hell yes for you. And I think that's a new way of operating as well because a lot of our old systems were built on I owe you, you owe me kind of thing. Even like the golden handcuffs and the, you know, how do we just like trap people into staying and things like that. And obviously we don't want turnover, but turnover is not a bad thing if we're, you know, moving people out who are not the right fit. And so we want to get better and better at attracting and finding the right people so that we have less turnover and we want to be like really knowing our culture and embodying it. So the only people that are leaving are people that, don't fit in there. And then that's great because then they get to go find somewhere where they do fit in and we get to welcome someone in who fits. And it's, yeah, I think just going on that journey, but knowing that it is a lot of inner work actually as leaders to unpack all of the things that we're attached to that is our conditioning. Because as leaders, we created the organization, you know, whatever you're looking at, (laughs) we own it. We created it. Whatever mess there is that you're kind of out there that we're looking at and thinking, oh, that's annoying. I don't like that or whatever. Like, <laughs> time to look. Time to look in the mirror. <laughs> well, I like that. I mean, just thinking about hiring and hiring the right people and saying no is that is something that's important. And I think that that mm-hmm. becomes easier when it's remote. In that, you know, if they're they're in person, you think, well, am I going to find somebody else that's within a thirty minute mm-hmm. drive? of my office that has these same skills yeah. and maybe they don't have everything or maybe the attitude's not quite right. They're not a great culture fit, but if I say no, am I ever going to find anybody compromises. else? Right. But yeah. having the, the talent pool be in the world is a little bit different. It is. And I think there's also a thing that when someone comes into work every day and we're looking at them, we can be like, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess they're coming here. They're doing this. this I can see them working like, it doesn't really feel like they're doing a great job, but like I see them there every day. That's the kind of hours paradigm. It's like 
not, you know, we really need to be looking at what they're working on and not worrying about how long they're spending working or where they're doing it from. But when they're coming into our office, the measurement was, well, they're there. So they're doing what they said they're meant to do. They turn up at nine and they leave at five. And, and so we kind of get a bit like tricked in a way. We trick ourselves and don't address things as quickly as we should sometimes. And we, we do make those compromises and settle for things often, like you said, as well. Uh, it's that illusion of productivity. They're yeah. here, so they must be doing something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and very quickly when you're remote, <laughs> you don't see any of that, so it doesn't matter. All you're looking at is is the job done. Outcome. Did the report land on my desk when I asked for it? You know, are the people's customer service inquiries being asked? Are our clients getting their tax returns filed on time? Or whatever it is that your business does, like, you know, is the the new product enhancement getting launched by Friday when we said it would? Like, those are the things that matter now. Right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's the outcome and, and mm-hmm. the output. So, you know, they're getting yeah. the, the job done and they're doing it well on time instead of, you know, do I see somebody down the hall? Yeah. And just that the social yeah. pressure as well. I think you, you talked a little bit about that earlier. And even with the hybrid model, kind of the subgroups and divisions and cultures, and that, that happens in offices. Um, you know, people, mm-hmm. you do have the people that are nine to five and then you have those that, you know, or you know, six a.m. and why is everybody else here? Nine, I'm yeah. working really hard yeah, because exactly. I'm here at six. Uh, yeah, oh, there's so matter. much of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's fascinating. Yeah. So, what has been your biggest learning experience in in building your company? So, you you've built several, and so this isn't mm-hmm. this is your first one for sure. So, what has been your mm-hmm. biggest learning experience through the process? Of remotely specifically? Uh, that or it could be of the other ones in, in getting to grow. Yeah. I mean, I think I think my biggest learning experience, and it feels really relevant right now, is to really be brave enough to stand for what you stand for. And I think we live in a world where there's a lot of this is how it should be done and this is the playbook for X and this is the model that why followed to get this plan and as an entrepreneur it's easy to get caught up in some of that and looking outside of ourselves for the answers and for how we should do things but my biggest lesson continues to be that staying true to me and what we are building as an organization and what we stand for and why we're doing this is where the energy flows and the resources flow and the prosperity flows and and the good work happens. When I get pulled off course and I start doing what I think I should do, what I saw someone else doing, when I start focusing on like, I don't know, some idea that we're not growing fast enough or we should be doing more of this or, you know, I start getting into the shoulds and comparisons is when I start to pull us off course and things get a bit more chaotic and a bit more stressful. And the reason why for me I do that is because there's some story deep inside me that I'm not enough. And when that yep. story gets activated, I start looking outside of myself to be enough, to measure up to what everybody else's standards are. And I let go of what I know to be true for me, for my company, for my organization and for why we exist. And so the work is to just keep coming back and saying, no, I'm here to do this work in this way and to listen and trust. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. And as entrepreneurs, we literally are creating new worlds, new ways, new things all the time. Right. So don't forget it. Like, <laughs> don't forget it and start thinking, I've got to go do this playbook that some other company did. Like, no, I can create anything I want. I can do it any way I want. And so 
I want to do it in the way that's most fulfilling, most open-hearted, most kind of expansive for our company and for what we're doing. So the more that I listen to who I am and be brave enough to be it and not be afraid and tell, and just know that I am enough, you know, it is enough, that's where the magic happens. That's beautiful. It really is. It's easy to chase shiny objects. And, and yeah, I, I do that myself. And, and I think you're exactly right is, is when we do that and, you know, somebody else had success this way. So I'm going to go try that. And then we try this and we try something else. And, and we, we forget who we are. We forget why it is that, mm-hmm. that we're doing what we're doing and, and get off mission. And it's not to say we can't talk with others and of learn course. from others and seek inspiration, but it's about listening to what's truly resonating. You know, if we some, see or experience something that someone else does and it's like, whoa, it fills us up and it feels like light and loving and open and like, wow, like, great. Like, let's go do it because it feels very resonant. But if we're coming from a place of like, a little bit of like, oh my gosh, they did that. Oh, I want to do that. Like, shit, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing it right. Like if yeah. you can tell it's very subtle, but like if we're listening to what is, what's our inner voice, what's our inner world, what, are, what is our emotional body doing when we start chasing one of those sure. uh, shiny balls, it'll tell us a lot because if we're doing it from a place of lack and scarcity and wanting to, you know, feeling a little bit of envy or not enoughness or what have you, like that's when we're going off course. If we're doing it because we're like, yes, like that person is doing something that just gives me permission to do more of what I want to do. Fantastic. That's where inspiration, you know, is very expansive and and incredible. Um, But there's a, there's a difference. What role have mentors played in your success? I, I love surrounding myself with primarily other founders and entrepreneurs and just reminding myself hearing their stories, learning from them, sharing. And so it's kind of a lot of that peer mentoring and and which I meet people of all ages and of all kind of levels of success or whatever you want to call it. I think success is very personal, but, um, you know, all steps on their journey. So I haven't had tons and tons of like, say, the typical what you think of as a mentor of like much older, much more experienced kind of sitting down and telling me how they did it. And I haven't actually had a lot of that. I tend to seek mentorship from people who are really doing right now. They're doing it right now and and we're learning from each other and together. And sometimes they are more experienced and more ahead than me, which is amazing. But I love the peer learning and the sharing and, and learning from each other because I think there's so much gold there. and just when we can be really transparent and authentic and we can learn like, well, other people go through hard stuff, they go through amazing stuff, you know, all these different things and get those insights and share vulnerably ourselves, we can connect and then we're not, we don't feel so alone. So for me, that's played a huge role. I've been a member of Entrepreneurs Organization for I think almost 10 years and other business organizations where I just really value that deep, trust and connection and truth and sharing and learning and growing together because the entrepreneurial journey is otherwise very lonely. I mean, you're the one, you know, maybe you have a business partner, maybe you don't, but even if you have a business partner, like it's only one or two other people, like you're just, it's lonely at the top, as they say, I don't like to think of myself at the top, but there is a reality of being the one that created the thing that's holding the kind of container to make sure it all works out and all of the everything that we kind of can take responsibility for, um, it can be quite, quite lonely at times. So I really value just my peers and other entrepreneurs. That's fantastic. Well, where can people find out more about you and Grow Motley online? 
Uh, Gramotely.com is the easiest place. And then hit me up on LinkedIn for sure. Um, I'm sure we'll include the links in the show notes, yes. but yeah, I'm, you know, I like, I do put a lot of content out about um, remote working and conscious leadership and this kind of evolving future of work and even things around impact investing and how I see the world in terms of it's really time we are doing all business should be business for good, good for people, good for the planet. Um, you know, we, we don't have time to spare anymore. And so exploitative businesses need to be a thing of the past. We can make money doing good work in the world. So I like to talk about all of that sort of stuff. So if it's resonant, hit me up, say hi. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and we'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes. Yeah. It's a great discussion. Thank really you. appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Jeff, for having me. I loved it. Well, thanks again to Sarah for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. I was blown away when I first met Sarah and really love mission-driven companies like Gromotely. There's something special about building a thriving business that's also transforming lives around the world. Learn more about Sarah and Gromotely at gromotely.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And while you're over there at SaaSFuel, follow, like, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Everyone who subscribes this week gets one leftover heart-shaped box of chocolates. Well, that was fast. They've already been replaced by chocolate bunnies. Didn't take long. Well, join us next week for our SaaS founder conversation with a guy who knows, or at least a solution does. Drew Diagostino, founder and CEO of Crystal, a personality data platform that helps businesses understand their customers and build more emotionally intelligent sales teams. It's amazing stuff. Crystal knows. And next week, you will too. And on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have the man, the myth, the legend himself, the SaaS CFO. Ben Murray will be here to talk finances, metrics, exits, and much more. It's always a great time when Ben is here. So be sure and check us out next week. And until then, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.